So, you and I know the end of the story because of last week, don't we? Which is kind of nice that we know how all of this is going to turn out. That Jesus is victorious, and because Christ is victorious, you and I have that victory and share in that victory as well. But how did we get to what we celebrated last week? Because the end of the story, or actually that end of the story of his life there on earth, had a beginning. And if the beginning didn't happen, well, then the end wouldn't either. That's what we're going to be talking about today, uh, the beginning of that story, and what it is that God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. Who He is, His nature, and the results of His coming. The title of today's sermon is Grace in the Flesh. We're going to be looking at John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. Final episode of a podcast titled Dolly Parton's America, Dolly offered various responses to the question, what is the theology of Dolly Parton? Has anyone ever wondered what the theology of Dolly Parton was? I actually have wondered what the theology of Dolly Parton was at one point. After stating that she was spiritual and not religious, she says this, The Bible says, let every man seek out his own salvation. And that means to save himself. Oh, I know, gasping. I was hoping for gasping. Whatever it takes to save you, if you can get to that place and find your own peace, then you can do good for other people if you are at peace with yourself. When asked about the afterlife, she said this, You don't really know. You just hope. You have faith. That's what faith is. I think it's not the end of me. I don't think it's the end of any of us. I actually think that we are recycled. And if nothing else, we just go back into that great flow of divine energy. And hopefully we spread ourselves around in wonderful ways. I'm not sure about you, but when I, hear the word, when I hear the word recycled, and then I hear spread around, I'm thinking Dolly Parton thinks we're eternal compost. That, to me, is really not appealing. And as scary as that, I don't know. I mean, I just, you know, just some of Mark here, over there, spread a little bit this way. Right? And, but, but what's even more disturbing, so Elder Farrington, Elder Mark Farrington, you're an elder. What verse is Dolly Parton talking about in the Bible that says every man is the same self. Can you quote that, please? Work out your salvation. You think, okay, so it says that man is to save himself and that we got to figure that out. And okay, so I'll, I'll go with that a little bit, but I had a hard time really finding the specific verse in the Bible. So during this sermon, I kind of, that's a, that's a close verse, but he's talking about sanctification there, isn't he? Is he talking about eternal salvation? So I want you all to be looking for that verse that Dolly Parton is talking about in the Bible during the sermon. 
But as we are looking for that, if you can't find that, don't worry, because we're going to be talking about a few other verses. I want you to hear what God says to Job in Job chapter 40. He challenges Job, because even God needs convincing of something. He says, do you have an arm like God's? Can your voice thunder like his? Well then, adorn yourself with glory and splendor. Clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash your fury of all of your wrath. Look at all who are proud. Bring them low. Look at all who are proud. Humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bring them all to dust together. Then I myself will admit to you that your own right hand can save you. Even God needs convincing that man can save himself. And the problem is, is that you and I fall into the category of the proud, the not humble, and the wicked. Man cannot heal themselves. Therefore, we need someone to do it for us. Thankfully, God does not expect us to save ourselves, nor does he leave it up to us to figure out how and why we need to do that. Dolly Parton, and my heart goes out to her, says to just have faith. But faith needs an object. The object of our faith is the person of Jesus Christ. And it is him and him alone that can save us. We're going to be looking at three truths from this passage today in how he came to us, the nature of how he came to us, and the result of that coming. The first truth is the nature of how he came to us. God became fully human, verses 14 through 15. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw his glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, the Baptist, testified about him, cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He he who comes after me has a higher rank than I. For he existed before I did. Patrick, you were right. It is very hot up here today. (laughs) Mary Daniel hadn't seen her husband for 114 days due to the coronavirus restrictions. He stays at a senior care facility because he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's seven years ago, and he moved into the care facility in Jacksonville, Florida. She was visiting him every night and would get him ready for bed. It was really helping him as he dealt with this disease But when the pandemic hit, health facilities restricted visitors. She was no longer to see him, especially restricted them to vulnerable patients like her husband. It closed the visitors on March 11th, and that was the last time she saw Steve. She was worried about her husband spending so much time alone, and she was desperate to find another way to connect. She said this, we've separated these folks to save them, but it's actually the isolation that may kill them, especially dementia patients. They need interaction. They needed to be touched. They need to grow instead of just wither away. Out of the blue, she said she got a call from the corporate office. They had a job available, and they asked her if she wanted to take it. 
She said, absolutely, I am willing to do any job available as long as I can see my husband. The job, it was a dishwashing position. The job allowed Mary to see her husband regularly, and she's absolutely grateful for it. She says, I get to go in tonight again, and it makes a world of difference for both him and me. She said her husband now feels loved, something he missed out on when they were separated. When I looked at this passage, it is extremely difficult to find any human illustration other than the one that John gives us here. John begins with this word again, the word, and the word bringing our minds all the way back to the opening verses of this book. And we know exactly who he is talking about. God Almighty took on flesh, became fully human to be with you and me. We were all separated from him. We were all quarantined in our sin. And if he had not done this, we would have remained in that sin, isolated from him from all eternity. God stepped in. And he stepped in in the form of a servant. What John does here in a few verses is absolutely mind-blowing. And I'm learning this about John. And I, you know, we, we've read these verses plenty of times. There are books written on just these few verses. And what he is trying to convey to us is one of the most important doctrines of our faith. That God Almighty, the Word, the second person of the Trinity, the one who existed before all time, who existed before all things were made, the one who had a part in creation, the one who is 100% God, became just like you and me fully. John, in these couple verses, these two verses, says that God became a man He became 100% man, however, in becoming a man, he did not lose any aspect of his deity. Jesus Christ is 100% man in all of our emotions, all of our senses, all of our physicality, but he is also 100% God as well in all of his glory, though this glory was veiled in his humanity. When we look at Jesus, we are looking at God the Father, as John is going to clearly say to us later on. Jesus is God. I mean, I'm sorry, when we were looking at Jesus, we were looking at God Almighty. The second part, that was wrong. Don't, yeah, don't call me on that. When we are looking at Jesus, we are looking at God. 100% man and 100% God. The idea that he dwelt among us means that he tabernacled with us. And when he says this word tabernacle, the Jewish mind is automatically going to think of when they set up the tent of meeting in the wilderness where Moses would meet with God. And we can imagine the reaction to the Jewish mind as they hear this, trying to tell me that in the person of Jesus Christ, this Man who was born in Bethlehem, who is the son of a carpenter, who is from Nazareth.
Nazareth, a no-name town, you're telling me that that is God Almighty? And that's what John is saying here. It would stun both the Jewish mind and the Greek mind as well because the Greek mind maintained a separation from the divine spirit in the mundane world. The flesh was looked down upon and the spirit was embraced and those two were never to come together. It is one of the most important doctrines of our faith and it is one that we cannot compromise on. And this is how God saves us. This is the beginning of what he is going to do for us. In order to do so, he needed to become just like you and me. You know, sometimes we, I, I think we tend to kind of make Jesus when we depict him as some sort of charismatic, Hollywood, good-looking, muscular-built man, and we do it to the disservice of the gospel. As a matter of fact, Isaiah says he wasn't much to look at. He was like you and me in all ways. Jesus was normal. And Jesus, and, and the second person of the Trinity, entered into our humanity and he experienced everything that we experience except sin. This is how God establishes the point of connection with humanity. He says, I understand what it means to be alone. I understand what it means to grieve. I understand what it means to be in pain. I understand what it means to suffer. And he establishes that point of connection in the person of Jesus Christ. When he took on flesh, he took on everything except sin. And we see that when he came down, he hung out and he dwelt with sinners. And what a lesson for us. How does God save humanity? He enters into their world. He enters into a world of sinners. Jesus didn't hole himself up in, a taber in, in the synagogue somewhere. He met with sinners. He walked and talked with sinners. He ate and drank with sinners. And that's a message for each of us today. We have Christ in us. How is God going to speak to those people who need him today? He's going to do it through you and me, bringing his word and his truth to them. And it's not going to happen in this building. We need to go out to where they are. He entered into their territory. He related to them. He hung out with them. Yes, we can bring people in here. Yes, we can encourage people and talk to people in here, but the majority of the work is done out of this building because that's what Christ did. He hung out with them. John is saying so many different things here, and it's important to note that Jesus was beheld and his glory was beheld by John. And I think in particular, John is referring to the transfiguration when James, John, and Peter saw that glory unveiled, when, when they saw it unveiled. And he witnessed this, and John is testifying to saying, hey, this Jesus is, he's no ordinary man. 
We watched this. We touched him. We beheld him. We looked at him. We talked to him. We hung out with him. We listened to him. But I also think that John is talking about a spiritual perception as well. That after spending all this time with Jesus, after listening to what he says, after hearing and seeing what he did, all the miracles that he performed, that John said, this is God. Realizing the extent of what God has done for us. The only begotten from the Father speaks to his absolute uniqueness. There is no one ever before or after like Jesus Christ. He did not originate here, but as John the Baptist says, he, came before, he, he existed beforehand. And here we see him hanging out with humanity on earth. He establishes that point of connection. And we can say now that God truly understands and experienced what we experienced. We cannot say to God, he does not understand. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to do what? Sympathize, especially with our weaknesses. And just because Jesus did not sin doesn't mean he's not able to understand sin. As a matter of fact, I think that the temptation to sin is that much greater and that much torturous to his soul because of his holiness. Last week, I was in the back after church and I was with the lamb merchants and Kevin was holding Ada. And she reached out to me. I'm not sure why she reached out to me, but she did. So I took her. I held her in my hands. And I was bouncing her up and down. I was tickling her, making her laugh, and holding her. And I started thinking about that experience. And at one point in time, that was the creator of heaven and earth. He came down, and he didn't come down as a full human being. He entered into this world just like you and me as a baby. And at one point, the creator was held by his creation, dependent on them. The one who existed for all eternity entered into time. And he did so for one purpose. You and me. Because he loves us. That's how much God cares for us. And he was full of something that we needed grace and truth exactly what we needed he embodied grace and truth the truth to show us the reality and the dilemma that we find ourselves in and the truth to point us to the answer to that dilemma and the grace to take care of the problem which brings us to our second point, the result of his coming was we receive abundant grace, verses 16 through 17.
For of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Owen Williams and his wife befriended their elderly neighbor when they moved into their home three years ago. When their daughter, Caddy, came along two years ago, their neighbor, Ken Watson, became a grandfather figure to Caddy. And then soon after that, he died. A few days later, Watson's daughter stopped by the Williams home with a large bag filled with presents. As a matter of fact, they were 14 wrapped Christmas presents that her father had brought, bought and wrapped for Caddy. William said this, I kept reaching into the bag and just pulling out more presents. You could have knocked me over with a feather. It was quite something. Williams wrote this, my wife and I think it might be nice for Christmas, for a Christmas tradition to give our daughter a present a year from Ken for the next 14 years. However, the issue is that they feel like they need to open them up now so that when she's 16 years old, she doesn't get some Legos or some Duplo blocks. He posted on Twitter and asked this question about what they should do, and he's had 67,000 responses to what people think he should do. And the majority of the people think, what would you do? Would you keep, would you open them all, let her open them all, or would you wait? Wait, yeah, I'd wait too. So that's what the majority of people said. That every year they're going. To, he's not going to open ahead of time. And if she gets Legos when she's 16, then she gets Legos. But every year she goes to that bag and just pulls out another present. John goes back to the fullness of Jesus Christ, what Jesus is full of. Actually, what he embodies. He embodies grace and truth. And it is of that fullness, of that overflowing, that you and I receive exactly what we need for our salvation, and that is grace. And unlike those Christmas gifts, it is not like we go back and we take the gift of grace that Jesus Christ has to offer, and we have to be careful with it, as to not use it all up in one day. Because he says, that's it, that's all I'm going to give you. It's not as if we can go back once a year, not even once a week, every day, every hour. His grace is available to us every second of every time of our life for all eternity. The grace that is found in Jesus Christ is all we need for our salvation. There is one thing that we need to walk away from in the gospel of John is that faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone saves us. That is what is enough. His grace is sufficient for every need, it is unending, it is available every second of every day, and it will never run out. You cannot exhaust the grace of Jesus Christ. 
You cannot sin more than the grace that he has. You cannot continue to go back and he's going to say, that's enough, you've had your share, I'm all done. His grace is abounding and it is abounding for all eternity. It is as if grace, one grace is piled up on top of each other. It is sufficient for all that God requires and it is all that we need. In simple terms, it is God's unmerited favor, His supernatural enablement and empowerment for salvation and for daily sanctification or our walk with Him. One author says, grace is everything for nothing to those who don't deserve anything. It is what every man needs, what no man can earn, and what God alone freely gives. It is absolutely essential just as the deity and humanity of Jesus Christ is essential to our faith. This point is just as essential. There is no work that you and I can do to earn our salvation or favor with God. It is found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He is the one who makes us righteous. And I'll preach up here and we talk about sanctification. We talk about obedience. And I get nervous sometimes because I don't ever want people to think that it is your obedience to God and His commands that bring you favor or righteousness with Him. Please don't ever get that idea. Obedience to Him is a result of what He has done in us, and it's an expression of our love. It's a thankfulness to the grace that He gives us. But I, I just want you to know, you can be the greatest sinner on earth. It matters not. His grace is enough to cover that sin. And when you believe in Him, that is it. You are secure for all eternity. You cannot sin it away. It's unending. It is the only thing we need. And it is only found in one person, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. Grace. It's a gift. It is a grace that accomplishes what following the law in our flesh could not do. He did in his flesh. When we look at the law and we contrast it with grace, and there, there's a slight contrast here, but I just want to be clear that it is not, they're not opposing each other. That's not what John is saying here because the law, is the law of grace and truth? Absolutely. God did not have to establish a relationship with us. He didn't owe us anything. He establishes a relationship with Israel. He gives them the covenant demands. That is how Israel could do what? Stay in relationship with him. But guess what? Who can do that? No one. So he's not saying that it's opposed to grace and truth. Absolutely not. It's an expression of his grace. The law is what God demands and grace is what he provides for that demand. It is an expression of God's grace when he gave the law to Moses. is telling them, hey, look, this is my covenant love relationship with you. 
But guess what? They failed at that just like you and I do. Jesus is now the fulfillment of that. What we couldn't do, Jesus does. He fulfills the law. And I think sometimes we forget his, what we call his active obedience. And when we go back to the law, all, we're just giving up the better of the two. Jesus already did that. And if you think you can go back to the law, and he, as it says, if you live by the law, guess what? You're going to die by it too. Because no man can achieve righteousness through following the law. Jesus' active obedience. You know what he did when he was on earth? Did he mess up? Did he, did he sin? No. He didn't sin, but he also followed God's law perfectly. So all of that, right? All of that law credit gets given to guess who? You and me. So not only did he fulfill the law for us, all of it, there's nothing that needs to be fulfilled, all done for us, not only did he fulfill the law, he took the penalty of the law that we broke. The demands of the law, if you break the law, what? It's death. Rightfully so. If I break a law, right, if I go to, if I speed, which I don't speed, if I speed out here, and the cop pulls me over and he says, what are you doing? I'm like, what do you mean? You have grace with me, right? No, I can't have grace with you. Why? You got to pay a fine. Well, okay, can't you pay the fine for me? No, you can't pay the fine for you. Why? You broke the law. We get in a fight and then I get arrested and I call Brian, get me out. So the law, we're okay with law, right? That's what it is. We broke it. We got to pay the penalty. But guess what? Jesus says, no, we're going to put that on my tab. As a matter of fact, we're going to put it on my body. Active and passive obedience. Jesus fulfilled it all. He is the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament points to. So listen to the terms that John uses here. The law was given. Grace and truth was realized or came. Eventually, the law could be separated from Moses and became an end in itself. Grace and truth can't be separated from Jesus Christ. You have Jesus Christ. You have grace and truth. You have all the grace you need. You have all the truth you need. The law was our teacher pointing us, hey, guess what? You're in trouble. You need help. That's God's grace to us. That's okay. This is what you've done, but guess what? This is what I've done for you. Don't confuse those two. God giving us the righteousness of Christ is one of the most important doctrines in Scripture. You and I stand right now if we have faith in Jesus Christ, 100% righteous. 100%. 100. Not because I come to church. Not because I wake up and I read my Bible and I say my prayers. Not because I tithe. Not because I help an old lady across the street. Not because I ask for forgiveness. Because Jesus Christ fulfilled the law 
and took the penalty for me. That's salvation. Manna was given from heaven. They ate it and they died. Jesus is the bread of life. We believe and we live. Rock gave water. Jesus is the living water. So that we may never thirst again. The law required a sacrificial lamb. God provided one. This is the gospel. Please don't let anyone ever tell you anything different. Faith alone in Jesus Christ. When Jesus said it's finished, guess what? It's done. It is done for all eternity. You are safe and secure because Jesus is better. He's better. Sacrifices and offerings you have not required, but you prepared a body for me. The body that is given for us. That's it. Grace. That's the grace we have. God wanted a relationship with us. He wanted to to fix that problem. And he did so first by coming to the people through Abraham, through Moses. But ultimately, he said, I'm going to have to take care of this myself. And he became a man in the person of Christ. Not only do we receive that grace, but we receive the truth that comes with him. The little girl, she had a terrific fight with her brother. When her mother came in, the mother asked, Why did you let the devil put it in your heart to pull your brother's hair and kick him in the shins? The little girl thought for a moment. and She said, Well, maybe the devil put it into my head to pull his hair. Kicking his shins, that was my own idea. She had better theology than her mom, didn't she? So we, we understand we needed the grace because we understand the truth of our sin. That guess what? The origin of bad deeds and evil really starts right here, doesn't it? The only one who could fix that was one who is like us except without sin The overflowing fountain of grace is a marvelous, free gift. We receive that gift. Moses saw the back of God. He couldn't look at his face. When we look at Jesus, we see God in the flesh. The second result of his coming is God is clearly explained. Verse 18 No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. This is kind of the other aspect of the truth that came with Christ. It is a truth of the revelation, revealing, or telling of God. 
To explain here, it means to lead out, to unfold, to declare by making it plain, especially to tell it fully, to make known or thoroughly explain, to draw out in a narrative form and so as to relate. So this is actually where we get our word exegete from. Is anyone familiar with the word exegete? It means to pull out or to draw out of, right? So every week when I'm in my office, I'm trying to, trying to, not always successfully, exegete scripture, right? My goal is to take a couple of verses and kind of lay them and spread them out before you so that you understand more fully or understand more clearly. My goal isn't to wow you with impressive facts or big words or ivory tower expressions so that you can go and impress your friends and look all cool because you know a bunch of stuff. My goal is to be clear, simple, plain, and to relate this book to you. If you leave here shaking your head in more confusion and being like, I'm so glad that sermon's over with, Pastor Mark, I didn't understand a word you just said, I have failed. Jesus did not fail to exegete God. Jesus exegetes God for us. If we want to know what God is like, look at Jesus Christ. That's it. The problem is so many times, many people will say, I like Jesus. I like the God in the New Testament I don't like the God in the Old Testament. The God of the Old Testament isn't the Jesus of the New Testament. And all they do is focus on Jesus and the God of the New Testament. Not only is that unnatural, that's unbiblical. You can't do it. Because the God of the Old Testament is Jesus. Jesus is God. And the God of the Old Testament is full of grace and truth just as much as Jesus Christ is. I mean, I think people fail to read Revelation when they're talking about this. Have you seen Revelation? What happens? That's, that gets pretty hairy. But there they go and they'll separate those two. And it's just not right. It's not the case. Jesus is God's revelation of himself. Who Jesus is, what he says, what he does is who God is and so on. When we see Jesus, we see or understand the character of God. And that God is a God of grace and truth. That's what God wanted all along. He created man to have a relationship with him. Why? He loves them. He gave him a beautiful garden. Man's the one who messed up. And then throughout all the Old Testament, he is coming back to man. He begins by going through Abraham, and then the tent of meeting, and then a permanent place in the temple. But guess what? Man can't handle it. So he says, okay, I'm going to come this way. And this is how I'm going to do it. He becomes one of us. And Jesus accurately reveals God to us. 
We cannot have God the Father without Jesus Christ and vice versa. The two are the same. The Old and New Testament, the New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old Testament in Jesus Christ. You search the scriptures, you look for life, you look for truth, and they do what? They point to him. Same God. But I think also what happens, right, is as Christians, this is what we say. Jesus loves me, but God's angry at me. Jesus forgives me, but God's going to punish me. Uh Uh-uh. You know why God's not angry with us anymore? Because of Jesus. You know why God's not going to punish us? Because of Jesus. He took it. Same God in the Old Testament. It's the same God in Jesus Christ. A God who loves us very, very much. Enough to send His one and only begotten Son for you and me. T.F. Torrance was one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century, but prior to that he served as a chaplain during World War II. One day on the battlefield in Italy, he attended to a dying 19-year-old soldier, and the dying man asked him this. He said, is God really like Jesus? For Torrance, this question captured the deepest cry of the human heart. Is the God that we meet on the other side of death the same God that came to earth as a lowly babe? Torrance assured the dying man with these words. God is indeed really like Jesus. There is no unknown God behind the back of Jesus for us to fear. To see the Lord Jesus is to see the very face of God. He said this experience would guide all of his future work as a minister and theologian. Jesus is later on going to say, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. You want to know what God looks like, look at Christ. It's a perfect picture. See His love, see His gentleness, His grace, His mercy, His holiness, His care, His sacrifice, and His provision. When you see those things, you're seeing God. And the God that we meet on earth is the God that we meet in heaven. A God who loves us, and because of that love, did something about it. There's a San Diego father who wanted to be known as Frank. He believed his son, a homeless heroin addict living on the streets in Denver, was on the verge of dying. Frank contacted Chris Connor, one of Denver's leading homeless advocates. He said Connor has helped people, helped parents find their lost children. But this was different. Connor said, I've never had a parent who necessarily went this far to descend into homelessness themselves. Connor connected Frank with Pastor Jerry Herships, whose church serves lunch to the homeless people in the Denver park across from the state capitol. Frank described the moment when he met his son on the streets of Denver. 
He said, he has no idea that I'm walking towards him. I can see that he can't stand up without the support of a building. He would appear drunk to most people, but I know it wasn't drinking. It was heroin and a heavy dose at that. I go up to him. He starts to run. He turns his back on me. I don't even care. I just grab him and I squeeze him as hard as I can. For a week, Frank became his son's shadow, wandering the streets during the day, sleeping on the banks of a river at night. He grew a beard, ate handout sandwiches, swatted away rats. Meanwhile, his son got sick, went into the hospital time after time, kept stealing to buy more drugs. At one point, Frank told his son this, If you die, your mom and I will die with you. We might still be here breathing, but make no mistake, we'll be dead inside. When asked why Frank did it, he said, The only thing I could think of was just to go there, to be with him and love him, to show him how much his family loves him. Jesus is God in the flesh who lived with us, being the very grace we need to be with him. God entered into our suffering and misery. The Son came to us. Not everyone recognized him. He dressed like us, and he shadowed us for some time. We are all like Frank's son, on the verge of dying Jesus enters into our pain and suffering, trading places with us, giving us the very body he came in. He did this, revealing God to us and how much he loves us. God himself coming down, opening his arms on the cross to give us one big eternal hug. So Dolly Parton Did anyone find that verse? No? I think Dolly Parton was wrong. Man cannot save himself, but God became a man to save us. Father, we thank you for the grace that we have in Christ. I pray, Lord, that we do not abuse that grace, but that we realize it is always available. And because of that grace, Lord, we can call you our Father, now and for all eternity. It's in the precious and wonderful, everlasting name of Jesus we pray. Amen.